Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. <gasps> a McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you, too. Mm. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Whataburger has been making breakfast for almost 40 years and burgers for almost 70 years. So making a breakfast burger with fresh 100% beef, a hand-cracked egg, bacon, cheese, hash browns, and our creamy pepper sauce seems kind of obvious, right? Of course it does. Now. Good thing there's the new limited-time breakfast burger. Served 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. at Whataburger. This is Dr. John DeSalvo and me and my co-host, Seraphine Hurley, welcome you to another exciting adventure on the Paranormal X Hour. And uh, Seraphine is actually in a parallel dimension, but mm-hmm. we were able to hook up audio, so we do have her on. So, Seraphine, can you hear me across the dimensions? Yes, I can. I'm hearing you crystal clear. Very good. Okay. So <laughs> our parallel universe time hookup is working well. Um, I want to again thank all of you for joining us on uh, 107.7 FM Talk Radio, UPRNTalkRadio.com, and United Public Radio Networks. And this is, again, um, bringing you hopefully another show, which we use the science to study the paranormal. And, you know, Seraphine, if you don't mind, I just want to take a minute. You know, we've had quite a few shows since our first one. And Mm -hmm. our first show, we kind of talked a little bit about our philosophy, you know, why we have this show and why we think we're kind of one of the most unique shows on radio, you know, because of our approach. So, you know, without doing a long song and dance, um, let me just take a a couple minutes, and then maybe you can add your comments. Is uh-huh. that okay? Because yeah. I'm sure, hopefully, we got a lot of new listeners, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they may wonder, you know, why is this any difference? And I think what the key is is that, and and I've been on radio for over five years on a lot of different networks, and the the pattern is always pretty similar. You know, you get a guest on, talks about their book, or you know, a a, a different psychic or paranormal topic and there's not much controversy or challenge or i don't see a lot of science in a lot of these shows it's mostly 99 speculation somebody's putting forth and many times it's not challenged or talked about and um you know we're going to start having more guests on but mm-hmm. our show and, and obviously respectfully when you when you challenge a guest but what we're trying to do is show that science can be applied to the paranormal because um i know many of you who are on facebook social media you just get sick of all these speculations that people are posting and they're posting it as fact and i don't i don't see anything wrong with speculation that's how great scientific discoveries were made in fact einstein said his daydreaming was thought experiments in fact he used to daydream what it would be like to ride on a light of on a wave of light 
and that's how he came up with this theory of relativity. So mm -hmm. the key, though, is when it's speculation, you make it clear to the audience or your students, because I was a professor most of my life, that this is speculation. When it's fact or law or more of a theory, theory is used loosely. The theory has actually evidence. You Then you can be with more certain that, the, like the theory of relativity, the theory right. of gravitation. Mm -hmm. So far, it, you agree, right? I mean, that's kind yes. of our approach. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add anything? No, I I would just say from the the approach of of the things that are more based in reality and reality versus fantasy, and uh, putting basically the wheels on the car, so to speak, rather than you know, yeah, we have a car and we're talking about the car, but how do we know that there is a car? Exactly, and you know, we admit too, most of what we talk about is speculation and guesswork and. We're trying to take what data is out there and form it into the best possible hypothesis. That's the word we should be using, not theory, but you know. Schrodinger's most, car. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and, and so that's why I think our show is unique. And, and most people, hopefully, that follow me you know I'm a biophysicist and physiologist. I studied neuro, I taught actually neurophysiology. and. And you are a, a brilliant researcher. People don't know this about you because you're too damn modest. But Seraphine, I there's very few topics I can talk to Seraphine about that she has is not aware of and usually comes up with stuff that I don't know. But um, so I think together we we really can cover most of these topics where we know what's out there and then we address them and say, okay, what's the science? What's the facts involved? So I, I just wanted to point that out. I don't want to make a big deal of it, but that um, and and we we do have uh, some really good guest plans. Scott Walter from um, America on Earth, who's been my buddy for like 20 years, and uh, quite a few others. Uh, my uh, NSA former NSA cryptologist friend, who I've been working with decoding manuscripts with, and maybe some people involved in black ops. Some kind of, kind of really interesting stuff you don't normally see on on radio or you know hear about, but. Uh, because I, I know these people and they've been friends of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I get a hitman from the mafia to come on and disguise his voice, huh? Uh -huh. Hey, this is Leo, you know, and what? <laughs> hey, you can do that. Can, how about a mafia imitation? I I can't. I I don't know anything about that. But yeah. Mafia. How about anything? <laughs> you putting me on the spot there, Doc. Hey, Seraphine, by the way, is an accomplished singer, studio musician. I, I mean, the dim lady has a lot of talents. So I but wouldn't I, know about that. <laughs> I was gonna make her sing her sing our theme song. Do we have a theme song? What would it be? Well, oh, the paranormal acts. I wanted to bring out why we got that name. I started a scientific research group internationally called the um, Paranormal X Group where we have a whole bunch of different divisions that study the paranormal. Now, we really haven't gotten off the ground the way we should. We're waiting for grants and support. But I kind of modeled it after, like, SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk, because mm -hmm. I always admired him. Um, actually, I was uh, talking to somebody on Facebook today. She said she wanted to marry Elon Musk. I said, well, if you do, please invite me to the wedding, because 
uh, him and John Wick are my two admirers. One is real and one is fake. But but um, <laughs> the idea why yes, paranormal <laughs> paranormal X to me is important and why it mimics SpaceX because Elon Musk is really exploring new frontiers. And I think that's what you and I are doing, Seraphine. Don't you agree? We're, we're looking at things in a new way, in a new light. Yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to take it and, and, and flip things a little bit differently. So like I said, Schrodinger's car, it's a thing now. I like Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat. The cat, <laughs> it's not if the cat is alive or dead, is, is the box there or is the box not there? But mm -hmm. that's my take on it. Was there ever a cat? <laughs> no, being a, my, my, really my field is, phys, I'm really a physicist, but um, they kind of disregarded the Schrodinger cat theory that it mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense. Um, so today I switched between three subjects before we went on tonight. And I think I'd like to talk a little bit about crystal skulls. And, and the reason is there's a lot of interest in crystal skulls. I've been invited to like three crystal skull conferences in the last month, which, which I haven't attended because they're too speculative, new agey. And I'm really interested in the scientific aspect of it, but also the psychic and paranormal. I don't, so we, we look at it all. But years ago, there were only like about, you know, six or seven known crystal skulls. Do you remember some of them? I'm going to test mm -hmm. your memory. What What were some of the famous ones that, that you heard of years ago? The big one, the small one, the medium, and the one that was questionable, that one? Yeah. Those ones. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. got, yeah, got a good comeback, but, you know. But, well, you know I'm like, just going to see if I can can't knock him, derail him. I got she's, it. She's messing with me. Okay, so <laughs> she knows what they are. But anyway, there's the uh, you know a lot of them. Like the British Museum had a crystal skull. The Mitchell Hedges, the Mayan crystal skull. They were like six or seven fairly well known ones, and a couple in private hands. Yes. And then all of a sudden, there was an explosion of crystal skull interest, and now we've got thousands if not tens of thousands of people in the United States and across the world claiming to own an ancient crystal skull. And some of them have paid up to $3,000 for them, believe it or not, and more. And it's like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding. I mean, uh, and, and the, the, the bottom line, first of all, there's no way to date them because crystal skulls, now there are other kinds of skulls, agates and you know different material, but focusing on crystal skulls, Crystal can't be dated except when it was formed in the veins of the earth, which was millions of years ago. So, you know, if you tried to date it, you would date it to be millions of years old. But we want to know when it was carved, right? What civilization it came mm -hmm. from. There's one way you can date it. You know how? How? I thought you are going to give me the answer. Well, I wasn't told to give answers. I was told to ask questions. Okay. I'm well, keeping up my end of the bargain. Okay. Oh, that's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but, well, if a tomb, a sealed tomb was found, like, you know, in, in Belize or in, you know, Mexico, and the tomb was sealed and opened and it was dated and it was a skull inside, um, 
you could be pretty sure that the date of the two matches around when the date of the skull was carved, or at least it could even be older. I mean, it could come from an earlier civilization, you know. So, but the point being is 99% of these skulls that are out there can't be dated. But what can be done is they can be shown that modern equipment, tool marks, abrasives have been used on it, right? And that would rule out them being ancient. Agree? Right, right. And those are easy to discover. And I've used those tools uh, uh, using scan and electron microscope and energy dispersive spectroscopy. Uh, Scott Walter, I used, he does most, used to do most of my testing using the digital electron microscopy. Um, mm -hmm. The point is you can't prove it's ancient this way, but you can rule out modern, you know, uh, uh, car, you know, uh, uh, you can rule out that it was um, produced. It was produced in a modern method. If you find like a rotary wheel, okay, mm -hmm. or modern abrasives that weren't invented to the 20th century, those kind of things. You know, they're they're very very obvious to a um, you know a scientist who can read uh, the micrographs. And um, so that's kind of. Well, I got interested in it. It was a long story. Nick Nosarino was my mentor, and we were going to start an international crystal skull group organization before he died. But he agreed with me, too. Like, he was very scientific. And um, so one of the first things I did was I got from Nick an ancient crystal skull, allegedly, according to, to Nick from China. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, yeah. And um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it really looks ancient, the weathering, the uh, markings on it. And uh, so I brought it up to the University of Minnesota, Duluth Skin and Electron Microscope Lab, and we looked at it. And, um, you know, it, it, we couldn't identify any modern marks on it or abrasives. And I, I took the Skin and Electron Microscope data and sent it to four people, directors of scanning electron microscope labs in Canada and the U.S. for major universities. And they came back with a variety of, of uh, interpretations. The most logical was that they there really wasn't anything modern that they could identify, a rotary wheel, those kind of braces. But they thought the weathering on it may have been caused by water erosion or wind or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the most common. And then I made a discovery, too, that in the eyes and in the nose, if you look at the scanning electron micrographs of those areas, they're smooth as opposed to the surface. So that tells you there could have been jewels or things in the eyes or the nose that prevented weathering. Mm -hmm. Too bad they're not still there, huh? Wouldn't that be cool? That would be really cool, yeah. So. The other thing we discovered, well, somebody else discovered this and we verified it. There's like a hydrocarbon covering on the, the it's like these red marks, there's like red stain all over it. I wasn't sure if it could be blood or, um, uh, you know, a, a painting, you know, a paint marks or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, it turned out to be a hydrocarbon. That means, you know, uh, we couldn't identify it, but it was a low, you know, atomic number. So um, the closest was somebody else studied a similar skull and discovered it was tree sap, I think from the University of Colorado. I can't remember exactly. So the uh, legend I pulled up is that a lot of the ancients 
in the uh, China area would sometimes coat psychic objects with tree sap or something like that to preserve the psychic energy within them for future generations. Now, again, it's pretty interesting, you know, mm -hmm. that some of the historical research matched what we found. So now I don't know if this was produced by a, a modern person, then they aged it, right, and did all these things. But it, you know, it, where I got it from, the pro, I, I don't know the exact provenance, but it's pretty good. So I'm kind of saying there's a, a better than 50-50 chance that this is probably a real ancient crystal skull. Mm -hmm. But again, you could be wrong. So that's the kind of studies I want to see. I don't want somebody to say, oh, I got this skull, I bought bought it, and it's ancient because it talks to me, or it has, I can, you know, whatever. I, I want to see some scientific proof on it. Now, the funny thing about this, Seraphine, is all the major skulls, like the British Museum skull, mm -hmm. and um, a couple others, I got a list of them, that were actually studied at the British Museum many years ago. Uh, where the heck my list is here? I got a list somewhere. Um, most of them were found to be modern productions that they found like rotary wheel marks and mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, uh, modern abrasive. Abrasives is used like to polish it, but they would be embedded in it. And some of these abrasives were not. Mm -hmm. This, you know, manufactured or made until modern times. Now, yes, I can skip a lot. Of, now, some weren't tested in private hands, and I don't want to address those because I I can't conclude one way or the other if there were no scientific testing. But the greatest, and maybe a lot of people in the listening audience who've been following the Crystal Skull research don't know this, but the Royals Royce of the Crystal Skull was the Mitchell Hedges skull, which yeah. I'm sure you heard of, right? What Anything you want to mention about that in terms of what people hear about that? Well, um, that besides the, the validity of the claims of the Mitchell Hedges skull, the Mitchell Hedges skull is also purportedly cursed. Yeah, that's true. There's a story, too, that I think Anton Levy went over to... Um, see it when uh, Dorlin, the curator, had mm -hmm. it at his home. Mm -hmm. And he was saying it was made for evil and all this stuff. And I think there's Dorlin all kinds of stories about it. But uh, one thing I was going to say, not meaning to interrupt your next thought there, uh, Doc, was that um, the, the reason why we currently date the skulls that we have now and the means that we do it with actually comes from the Mitchell Hedges skull. Uh, finding out that we actually couldn't uh, get proper dates on um, the analysis using um, radiocarbon dating, which is usually uh, was used quite commonly because it can't date quartz. Exactly. So now here's the funny thing about it, because when I was you know interested in crystal skulls, um, a lot of my friends have seen the Mitchell Hedges skull, and they just talk about the beauty of it. You know, the jaw comes off and the psychic energy, and people have seen visions of Atlantis and all the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And paranormal phenomena occurred around it. And so it was considered the world royce of the crystal skulls, the most 
validity of it. Well, turned out back in um, the 1990s, the uh, caretaker, after uh, Anna Mitchell Hedges died, who was mm -hmm. the uh, caretaker of it, there's a legend, uh, but her father, F.A. Mitchell Hedges, when he was in Belize during her birthday, she saw something shiny in one of the excavation pits, and he lowered her down, and it was the skull. So there's mm -hmm. also a rumor that a skull like this was listed at an auction in the UK mm -hmm. in the early 19th century. And it was like, well, wait a minute, what, you know, where's, what's going on here? And that was like some evidence to say, maybe Mitchell Hedges' stories was made up. Maybe he bought it at an auction. Uh, uh, and then he tried to say that he loaned it to somebody. They put it in the auction by accident. And yeah, uh, there was always Sydney a question Bernie. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm using this as an example for people, too. A lot of the people out there, I don't like to say new age, but that just accept things without the testing. The Mitchell Hedges has been accepted for decades and decades, maybe since the 1900s, of being a real, authentic, yes. ancient crystal skull. One so, of the few. Right. And, and Bill Holman, who was the caretaker, brought it to the Smithsonian for, I think it was a Discovery or History Channel special filming. And he left it there. And uh, Dr. Jane Walsh, who actually I know, and I've seen the original micrographs, decided to do an SEM study of it. Right. And I've seen the original scan in electro, SEM scan in electron micrographs right. of it. And there's like 99.9% .9 evidence of modern lapidary tool marks. And she dated it late 1800s, early 1900s. I put it in the early 1900s if it was me. I, I'm not an expert on reading SEMs, but I'm pretty good. And um, it really, uh, I mean, there's no question about it in my mind as a scientist. It, you know, 99.99% .99 confidence it's a modern production. And that was her conclusion. And she published her results. And again, I, I saw the original micrographs. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of laugh at all the uh, new age psychics and people that saw Atlantis and all these different things in it and all these claims, but it's, it's a damn modern skull, you know? Now, was it made as a forgery? Maybe not. You know, people, artists may paint the Mona Lisa because they love it and they want to copy. Maybe this was an artwork of a master, a lapidary, you know, genius. And, right. It uh, would have had to have been, not to, to run into your comment there, but it would have had to be a lapidary genius because of the markings, the kind of markings that we're looking at are so hard to do uh, the way like a, a corner store dude who does crystal skulls in let's say Nicaragua or somewhere in South America in one of the touristy districts would, would do because they do sell stuff like that in, in South America exactly. because it's a big touristy item. But the dimensions, not only the dimensions of the skull, but to be able to be passable by scientific hands and eyes. I mean, you would have to be an absolute freaking genius. Um, they do believe that, um, according to jeweler and um, art dates, and also, uh, what was it, Sotheby's record said that approximately 1936 was when a skull yeah. showed up 
meeting the dimensions approximately of the of the hedges skull. Well, F.A. Mitchell said it was the skull, but the, the the story was that I may have this wrong because it's been so. I mean, uh, so I, this is the book I wrote, Power Crystals. Um, I have that book. By, by Inner Traditions. Oh, fantastic! And um, <laughs> I actually quoted. Um, uh, oh, by the way, that, well, anyway, the, the story that I heard was that he said, "Yeah, he left it with someone, and by accident." Whether he owed the money, I forgot, but they put it on the Sotheby's auction block by accident, and he, either he bought it or they had it taken off. So I think he even admits that that was the same skull, but a lot of people argue that, you know, maybe there was something going on there. Now, this was her conclusion. Jane Walsh said it showed, Dr. Walsh said it showed, she's from the Smithsonian, uh, you know, very respectable scientist showed evidence of the use of high-speed cutting or carving tool. Some of these carved lines are less than a millimeter thick, which mm -hmm. indicates that a steel or iron tool was used to carve the lines. There was also evidence that wheel tools, like rotary wheels, not available to the free Colombians, were employed. So the interesting thing uh, was a high-speed diamond-coated rotary cutting tool of a very small size. And she thinks that's very consistent with it being, you know, made in the modern times. Um, so there's a lot of things. Not only, you know, uh, is the um, lines, the carving method, the, the thickness, the rotary wheel, too many indications that it's modern. So, you know, I don't think anybody can refute her findings unless they say she did it on a different skull and which... No, she, she's not going to do that. But she had, she documented it very well. And so um, I, I didn't use this as an example to put down all the people that made claims about it. But the point being is that when people make claims about I mean, there's probably 10,000 people or more out there that say they have an ancient crystal skull. And I bet none of them are ancient, okay? If Luckily, if maybe if there's one or two. But subject them to scientific study. And now, luckily, I, you know, I had access to labs to do this. Not everyone does. But, I mean, when somebody pays $3,000 for a skull or whatever, and they just take the word of the person, it's ancient, I got a problem with that, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Well, even some of the largest skulls, they, they, they believe, like, around the, the time uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, which is a rate of part of the Raiders of the Lost Ark franchise and all that, um, people started showing their ancient crystal skulls. And two of the ones that people believe to be um, ancient, but uh, everybody that I know that um, knows their stuff about crystal skulls, I'm going to say the, the Shana Ra and the Amar, were also known as Max, the Tibetan crystal skull. There's these two uh, have been virtually looked over and looked after and changed hands and all this other stuff. But everybody that I know that's ever looked at them professionally, a lot of them come back with no comment. I like, haven't. Like I, nope. I, I only heard of one scientist who looked at it professionally. So the rest are all or new age people. If you can so. name a, 
if they can name a scientist that looked at either of those skulls, uh, and I know someone who did, but but they don't want me to mention what they found. But anyway, Joanne Parks. School. Yeah, Joanne. <laughs> Joanne Parks actually wrote the forward to my book, and she owns uh, Max, and I I spend time with Max, and um, um, I asked her if she wanted me to have it tested, and she said no, and that's fine. And I and Shama Ra was owned by uh, Nick Nosarino, who um, was my mentor, and um, after he died, his wife Chris asked me to have it tested, but I never got around to it. And I think Michelle, his daughter, now is the caretaker. And so, but I, I kind of lost interest in it. And I, I really urge owners of both those skulls to have them tested oh, yeah. um, because uh, I, I think it's just good science. They're both very impressive skulls. And um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean- Either way, lapidary wise, they're absolutely impressive pieces. They are. And, and um, here's the thing. I mean, I don't know much about Max, except what Joanne Parks has told me, and she, mm -hmm. I love her. She's a wonderful lady, and I have no reason to doubt her story. But again, I, I like science. Uh, Nick was my mentor. He is very psychic, and he actually found the skull through psychic means. So um, I, I think there's a good possibility that, you know, either one or both of those skulls could be ancient. But again, the, the heart, the you know, the acid test is the testing, you know, the, mm -hmm. the scientific testing. So by no means I'm making any judgment on them. But no. unfor unfortunately, and I could be wrong. I do not think to this day any scientific tests were done on any of them and any scanning electron micrograph experts or people in this field that are, you know, uh, savvy to looking at for the rotary wheel. You know, if you're good, sometimes I could see a rotary wheel mark on a modern skull. I don't know if I ever told you that. If you showed me a skull, I can sometimes pick out modern marks with a magnifying glass or even by with eye by looking at it. And mm -hmm. and so, but I, I wouldn't make a comment on that because I think I'd want to have scientific data. So if you showed me a skull, you said, John, I bought this skull. Do you think it's modern or ancient? Or do you have any information? Do you have anything to suspect it's modern? And I looked at your skull. But um, I look at your skull all the time, don't I? No. <laughs> you got a beautiful skull. But anyway, thank you, thank you so sir. I, I look at the skull, <laughs> and let's say I think I see rotary wheel marks or something that looks suspicious. I probably wouldn't say anything, and I would probably say, you know, maybe a good idea to get this you know, looked at, you know, Scott Walter too, does a great job. He does three day. He used to do 3d layering for me too, of the uh, uh, carvings. And that's, that's another good indication. And we look at the weathering and that's another interesting indication. I'll talk about weathering. I, I, I hope I'm kind of making it clear that I don't believe claims of a skull being ancient, unless you can rule out modern lapidary. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, the funniest thing was somebody said to me, all right, well, maybe it was done by ancient technology, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard that one too. I said, well, isn't it interesting at the level mm -hmm. the development of alien lapidary technology matches the late 1800s of our world? You know, it's not more mm -hmm. advanced or less advanced. It matches exactly that mm -hmm. period of time. I mean, so it gets kind of ridiculous, but... Um, so I was, was going to ask you real quick. Yeah. Do you know, do you know about Eugene Bobin? No. 
Do you want to know about him? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Eugene Bobin was actually someone who specialized uh, in the early 19th century in Aztec artifacts and frequently traveled to Mexico to purchase these kinds of antiquities and, and such. And then he would take them back to Paris to sell in his shop. He was an antiquator and jeweler. His name sounded familiar now. Uh -huh. okay. Okay. okay, so Bobin had a record of selling fake merchandise. But uh, most museums that had bought the skulls directly from him basically didn't really say one way or the other whether they believed them to be fake. Because Bobin was a very on-the-level guy. He sold some really neat stuff. I've actually, I've got a catalog of his things. Uh, Bobin had originally sold the skull to Alphonse Pinart, an explorer who actually, it seems, offloaded the skull at one point to another museum. And the, I'm talking about multiple skulls here in 1878, no. because there was more than one at the in, in the 1800s. By the 1800s, there was more than just one. Um, so went to Alphonse Pinart from Bobin and then to another. And then after the Expedition Universelle, which was the Parisian World's Fair, um, it noted that the skull's authenticity, somebody said that was doubtful, but the person who actually noted that the authenticity was doubtful was a jeweler, was not a scholar. Mm. Um, 20 years later, in 1898, actually, uh, the British Museum bought the skull from Tiffany and Company. The jewelry store had bought the skull directly from Bobin sometime after he had left Mexico for New York. Now, Bobin had left Mexico in a hurry after trying to sell the same crystal skull to the <laughs> National Museum of Mexico <laughs> under a false claim that it was an Aztec artifact. Yeah, ain't that some stuff? But oh, you know, this... <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, but with the skull's um, pre-Columbian uh, bunny air quotes origins in doubt, um, everybody went back to turn to science. This is where science comes back in and goes, well, this is how we're going to sort this out. Because no. Tiffany and company, as we know, is a well-known jeweler like Cartier. They're into lapidary items, uh, gemstones, things like that. For those of you that aren't don't know what the term lapidary means. Um, so shiny stones. <laughs> the skulls are carved shiny stones. So yeah. that's why Tiffany and company would be buying them. And so do crystal skulls have value? Yeah, they do. Because some of them are, are they're basically works of art. So if you have one, you paid a whole bunch of money for it because somebody told you it was real. Uh, uh, worst case scenario, it's a really, really beautiful piece of cut crystal. So the only, prob the only problem is something like that would sell for two or three hundred on the market versus three thousand dollars. Somebody claiming it's ancient, and or to millions. me, that's not ethical. Yeah, yeah or, or millions of dollars. Do you know how many friends I know, and I can count more than a dozen, maybe two dozen, that paid over three thousand or three thousand dollars for ancient crystal skulls? that I know are not ancient. I'm not going to tell them. I don't want to hurt their, you know, they believe it fine. But I mean, I've looked at yeah. them. I've, and, and here's the thing I don't like, okay? And a lot of people aren't going to like me for this. But people who claim uh -huh. to have ancient crystal skulls 
that haven't been tested and then charge people money to spend time with them, I have a problem with that. Yeah, I have a problem with that too. That, that okay. stinks. This is, by the way, I know for the, uh, this is that, uh, the scan and electron energy dispersed spectroscopy that I use. Mm -hmm. These are pictures that my late wife took actually um, when we went up to the lab. You can see the, the screen. On one screen, we have the actually magnification of the skull. And then on another screen, we have the energy dispersive spectroscopy, which measures the elemental composition of it. So we can get both the magnification and the um, elementary composition. And, um, you know, these. this is the uh, director of the lab. And we, uh, you know, we, do, we did some simple, he verified first it was quartz crystal. We looked at what we thought would be the most interesting um, you know, marks. And then the bottom is like the vacuum chamber because an electron microscope uses a beam of electrons. Mm -hmm. And so you can't have air molecules in the air because the electrons would bounce off it. So you have to put it, you know, in a vacuum chamber. And um, and that's right. kind of... And then when I went back to Scott Walter's lab, we were able to do like three-dimensional reconstruction of the different layers. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, that's and, very cool. And, and that gives us an idea of how it was carved too and how, you know, the technique involved. Here's another one, uh, digital of the skull surface. I, I mean, obviously people may not be able to see this or not on YouTube. I, I encourage those of you who are, I'll post some of these on my Facebook page. By the way, those who'd like to see more pictures, I post a lot of my skulls and things I test on Facebook, just go to John DeSalvo, 007, my sunglasses, uh, Maple, Lake, <laughs> Maple Lake, Minnesota. I don't think there's a lot of John DeSalvos, but some of your friend requests and uh, uh, tell me you heard me on the show and I'll be glad to accept you. But I'm going to probably post some of these. I talked about weathering, right? Mm -hmm. Take a look at this skull. Kinda that cool. one is really cool. Now, this is agate, okay? Mm -hmm. Show you some of the pattern there's actually a hole in it if you hang it up it doesn't it's like there's no obvious not center of gravity who knows what but scott walter and i discovered probably two or three layers of weathering mm -hmm. this would be almost impossible to have fake the other interesting thing is if you see where the skull was not weathered right like there mm -hmm. see and then where it's weathered yeah. If you put your hand around that area, you can see that it would be buried a certain way to protect half of it, and the other half was probably above the ground being right. weathered. So, uh, again, you know, we can't prove this is ancient. The other thing, it almost looks like an animal human, doesn't it? You know, I've, I have never seen anything quite like this in collecting skulls. Um, now, I also bring all these skulls. Now, I don't want to rule out the psychic part because we've been talking science, right? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, this is my favorite sculpt. This is actually a red quartz crystal came out of a, of a tomb, actually. I don't want to go into more detail than that. But notice it's um, elongated, like in the Indiana Jones movie. That's really cool. Yeah, we think it's Changshang, which puts it four to 6,000 years old. That's really neat. And that skull, that society also uh, believed in elongating babies' heads with boards. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to be able to, oh, I should have had, uh, let's see. If you put a light on it, I wonder if I can do that with my, it looks like fire, you know? Um, 
it's like a, and that's why this was like a very very rare type of um of quartz red quartz let's see is this going to work at all there you go yeah kind of cool especially if it's in the dark um good for halloween right <laughs> Ooh. Oh, anyway. <laughs> nice but um you know from what i know about this one you know I'd, again 70 percent confidence is probably ancient but here's the key though you see Seraphine, and I know you know this, that you can do a modern carving using mo uh, primitive techniques, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not going to find any rotary wheel or braces or anything. Right. And then you can age it. There's so many ways you can age it. Yes. And then, so you do the tests and you say, well, there's no modern tool marks. But so you can't, that's why you never can conclude, even when you rule out the modern technology that it's ancient so maybe the lesson to take home is buyer beware okay mm -hmm. pay for the skull like you said pay for it as a value of yes the carving as right? a beautiful bobble yes right. i mean i would i would pay four or five hundred dollars for this i didn't even pay that much but um i have connections but but it's beautiful <laughs> and and this red one even if it was a, a modern reproduction which i don't think it is so um i really want to protect my friends and people out there um and 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 that's why you know i wouldn't create i would not look at somebody's skull that i know is probably modern and tell them it's ancient after they tell me they paid three that i mean uh, you know after they told me they paid three thousand dollars for it i wouldn't right. want to hurt them but if somebody was going to buy like when people write to me and they say hey i've got the ability i can buy this skull i get a lot of this by the way what what do you think? And I'll say, first of all, I can't tell from the picture. And two is very, very, very few are ancient. And unless Ooh. you do the tests, I, you know, I would just pay for it as it was, like you said, a modern mm -hmm. production. So um, a really pretty shiny rock that's carved into a skull. It is. Now, remember, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I showed the Toltec skull I had that came out of a museum in Mexico. That was sold by a curator that uh, that owned in his collection. There's some skulls that I have that I uh, that I I'm not sure, I don't have in front of me here. That the provenance, the testing, I'm pretty sure they're ancient. You know, um, and also, but people don't realize the smaller the skull, the more likely it's ancient. And the reason is, crystal is like seven on the more scale of hardness. It goes from you know one to ten. 10 mm -hmm. is the hardest, like diamond. Seven is, uh, is is crystal. I think jade is like six. So it's really hard to carve. As you know, to carve these yeah. things, polish them. Especially, you know, they don't even make life-size modern skulls that much anymore because they're so hard to do and cost so mm -hmm. much. So the smaller, I should have brought a couple smaller ones that I have in my collection that were mine. They're the smaller ones have a greater percentage of being um, authentic. Mm -hmm. Any 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 questions so far? I I just um that's been kind of my research for about ten years or so. Really studying these, doing scientific tests using university. Um, but people can be very clever. There's probably factories making these and putting them out and selling them as ancient. Like we know in Egypt, there's factories mm -hmm. putting out ancient antiquities. Yes, and they age them. Uh, yep. 
Somebody once told me they believe something like 80% of all the Egyptian antiquities on eBay are probably fake. Yeah. I, I don't know if that number is correct. You, you think that's about right? It, I, it sounds about right to me because I, I get a lot of stuff and I, I'm all, always looking for relics. I'm looking for Byzantine items. I'm looking for all kinds of neat stuff. And that stuff is so, it's faked 90 times, I'd say 96.999% fake. And, and it takes it takes time and it's hard to buy stuff on an online auction when you can't like take a loop and look at it. And if you guys think that I don't loop things, I'm a pain in the butt when I go to auction. If I'm going to be putting a thousand dollars down on, a, on an item, I'm touching it. I'm getting as close as I can because a lot of times these things, you're not allowed to even touch the item. But oh, if, yeah, you can get, yeah. if you can get close enough with a loop or a magnifying glass if they allow it then you use the magnifying glasses and there's plate there's ways that that i call the tell the tell markings like tell markings for me on skulls because i also collect skulls but i i more collect human ones than i do crystal i i have very few crystal but the ones i do have are very special but um the tell marks for me for lapidary items are scuff marks, are little little tinks in the in the crystal or in the diamond or whatever kind of rock it's supposed to be made out of. Like I've got a lot of jade items um, mm. where jade, people are trying to sell jade this and jade that, like Eastern uh, meditative items um, that are made out of jade and gold. And they're really hard to come by where they're not fake. And the tell on those are also, if they've got a unique marbling, if they have, if they're perfect, they're not real. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're very smart. And, and, and people may not know this, you were in that, that is out the gate. Yeah, I mean, you were, you had a business like that. You were professional and yes. stuff. You're familiar with that. I, I The biggest evidence for me, if I don't have like equipment in front of me is looking mm -hmm. for crystallization. And the yep. carved marks, because that takes time. You can't fake that. No, so for something do. to grow, you, that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And 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 that's usually pretty good. So, you know, it's always good if I'm looking at a skull that somebody wants to mm -hmm. sell me that they say is ancient. Um, I also have a portable uh, digital computerized microscope that I can put in my pocket and just hook up to a computer and, and look at it. But But again, you know. Though you have to be careful. A story I love telling is when, you know, I was one of the scientists, as you know, and a lot of my, I was one of the scientists involved with the Shroud of Turin, the alleged burial cloth of Christ. I was a consultant to the original research team. I actually had uh, several of the uh, sticky tape samples that were removed from the Shroud in 1978 for study. And one of those was actually a blood sample. And I, I want to get into the whole research. That's, we did a whole show on Oh, I did that with the Hertex. We have a future science TV series with Dr. JJ and Desiree Hertex. If those of you are interested, go to Future Science TV on YouTube. And um, one of the shows is on the Shroud of Turin. And I talk a little bit about that. But it's a very popular uh, YouTube TV series. And most of you have heard of and Dr. JJ and Desiree Hertex. And they were on our radio show what, a couple of weeks ago, was it? You remember? Yep. They were, and I... I ask people to go to our archives on uprntalkradio.com and pull up some of our past shows because we those they, that was really an interesting show so um 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the points that I wanted to make, and you helped me illustrate that, is, you know, you have to be very careful, whatever you're buying, whether it's an ant antique, an antiquity, a crystal skull. And, um, yeah, it, it could be a modern um, reproduction, but then make sure you pay for it, assuming it's that. And then if it turns out to be ancient, you got a bonus, right? Or it turns right. out to be real. Exactly. I was buying scarabs for five bucks each. Now, you think those are real? It depends. Because just like I said, there's a tell and then there's, there's stuff that is just so unusual that it's, yeah. not, it's not fake. I know, it's possible. But, you know, I figured, you know, I thought they were real and they may be because so money is not always a factor in determining. No. Not you know, always. Right. You know that from being in the business of, of that. Yep. So um, let's see. Anything else about skulls? Um, now, why I like quartz, quartz you know, I was a rock collector since I was in fourth grade and had I was actually on the front page uh, newspaper because of my rock collection in sixth grade at a science fair. And, and quartz and petrified wood were my favorite stones. And remember, the uh, crystal radios were made with crystals. The electronics industry is crystals. Uh, it's interesting, too, and one of the passageways in the Great Pyramid, uh, you know, I'm director of the Great Pyramid of Giza Research Association, one of the passageways, they found hidden chambers filled with sand. They called it singing sand, made up of like 90% quartz. Why would somebody do that? Put it, you know, and um, quartz is found in all kinds of strange ancient places. So, there's some metaphysical aspect and we know that, like I said, computers are based on quartz and our electronics industry. Now, is there a psychic component? A lot of metaphysical people attribute psychic ability and psychic experiences. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about, and I believe that, a little bit about what quartz crystal could do in terms of psychic ability or, you know, whatever. Yeah, we are at the top of our hour, unfortunately, but I will add um, yeah. that the reason why quartz is great is that it has a very high vibrational quality to it that uh, a lot of other rocks do not have where there are rocks that do have it, but quartz is so easily, you know, enticed into doing specific things that um, it, it just makes it really cool to do certain things with quartz items. Um, so quartz is, yeah, quartz yeah. is kind of a go-to for a lot of psychic reasons. I, I was going to just see if I can find it, but when, a, you know, a crystal is, um, a quartz crystal is subjected to an electronic current, it vibrates at a, a set frequency, 23,000, Hertz, I can't remember. I was looking up that number. And that's why it's used for timepieces because mm -hmm. it's very precise in its vibrations. Can't had that mark. Can't find it now. So um, I thought that was interesting because it is used in science, but maybe the ancients, you know, discovered a specific quality, a psychic quality of it. I don't know about you. I don't consider myself psychic, but when I hold quartz, I feel something special. You know, whether it's ancient or modern, that there's mm -hmm. something there. And I love it. And, um, you know, we believe, a lot of people believe, which I do, stones have certain energies and certain they do. psychic properties. So, see, that's why our show is unique. We're not just scientists that we then throw at everything else, right? You know, we're saying, 
we're scientists, but we also believe in the paranormal and the psychic mm -hmm. world, but we're looking at it scientific. Now, not everything can be proved scientific because it's not repeatable like scientific, you know, phenomena. But we we acknowledge that there may be things that are they higher laws of physics we haven't discovered yet that explain the psychic. Mm -hmm. That's what my, what I believe that maybe we will discover. Uh, like you know, if you brought a TV back to the 1800s or a radio or something, that would be like a miracle. You know, mm -hmm. we show them a movie, but it's a scientific thing we discovered later. Who knows? Or maybe there really is access to higher planes and dimensions mm -hmm. and that's what we're accessing so yeah you said our, we got our our time is yeah is up and um so maybe i'll just give out my contact information i would suggest if you'd like to see more pictures of these things and descriptions um go to facebook send me a friend request uh, my association's website great pyramid of giza research association is gizapyramid.com we're the largest research association as far as i know private in the world uh i also worked with the russians and ukrainians for eight years and was the spokesperson for the russian research and formed an international partnership and we have all that on the website so gizapyramid.com it's all free research papers articles uh, a lot of college students go there for reports and um you can just email the director, cdsalvo at goldengate.net, but that's on that website. So there's a lot of ways to contact me through email, through uh, Facebook. Um, I, you know, those are the main things. And um, uh, maybe you want to give any uh, contact information for you. And then maybe, um, uh, you know, you have two other shows on this network too. You may <laughs> want to mention those. And then maybe you can do the ending credits. I love, I love the voice, the way you do it. So sexy. I love your ending. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> we're, we're, so, good, we're, we're good friends, so we can kid around like that. I love you, honey bunny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you can find us here on UPRNTalkRadio.com, as well as 107.7 FM in New Orleans, as well as my show, Tripping the Void, which is tomorrow night at uh, 9 p.m. Central Time. And um, as my show earlier, if you had a chance to listen to it, is also Infinite Inquisition, which is at 3 p.m. Central Time on Mondays as well. So we got Monday, Tuesday, and Monday again with uh, Para X Hour with Dr. John DeSalvo at 5 p.m. Central Time. So you got to not miss it. So thanks again, guys, for all the love that you've given us. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you do have any show ideas or questions or anything for us, go ahead and contact either myself, Seraphine Hurley, or Dr. John DeSalvo, John DeSalvo, on his social media. So there you go. So thank you for your listenership. We love you. Have an awesome Thanksgiving, and we'll yeah. talk to you next week. Thank you, Seraphine, for being a wonderful co-host and Joe Montalvo, the station owner. God bless you all and happy Thanksgiving. And thanks for listening. See you next week. Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. <gasps> a McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you, too. 
Mm. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. <gasps> a McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you too. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.